Jesus went and visited his hometown with his disciples. And you would think, in visiting his hometown, he would have had a great reception and would have done a great ministry. But you know, the Bible says that the opposite happened. The people of his hometown despised him. And they said, we know who he is. He's, we we've know Joseph and Mary, and we know his brothers and, and all of this. We, we know who he is. And, and they, they took offense at him because he was acting in the role of their prophet and Messiah. And the Bible says that Jesus did not do many works there because of their unbelief. Faith is important to the Christian walk. It's important for the lost person as well because the Bible says that we receive God's salvation through faith. Uh, Scripture says whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So uh, the life of faith directly affects how we relate to God, the abundant life, how we relate to others, our effectiveness for Him. It's central uh, and so important to the life of a Christian. And so, the author of Hebrews is talking to us about how to live by faith. And I believe each and every one of us, as believers, need to live by faith. And that's the title of my message, Living by Faith. How do we live by faith? And so, if you'll look with me at verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to read this scripture. Therefore... And, and that word, therefore, by the way, looks back to Hebrews chapter 11 with all the examples of people who lived and walked by faith. Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and is sat down at the right hand of God's throne. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have, not, uh, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or faint when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering is discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had natural fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our profit so that we can share in his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time but painful. Later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Living by faith. How do we live by faith. The first thing I want you to see is we must choose Jesus. We must choose Jesus. He says, 
in verse 1. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that easily ensnares us. Let us run the race. You must choose to follow Jesus. Now, some of you don't know Christ. There's an initial choice that you need to make to begin your walk with Christ, and that is to choose to receive the free gift of eternal life from Jesus Christ. He has paid the price for you at Calvary, dying for your sin. He rose from the dead. And the Bible says that because he died for your sin, God will forgive your sin, cancel your sin debt, give you a home in heaven, and make you his child because of Jesus and what he has done. So you need to choose Jesus. But sometimes after we make that initial choice to follow Jesus, we can tend to get lax. Maybe we get distracted by other things. Uh, the schedule gets busy. Uh, maybe, maybe things at home are difficult. Or maybe there's a, a financial problem or an illness or something that distracts, distracts us from doing what God has called us to do. And so we must each day choose to run our race. We must choose to follow Jesus. Choose Him above everything else. He is to be the priority of our lives. You ever think about this? We pursue a lot of different things, don't we, in life? Our relationships with our family members. Uh, we, we pursue uh, our careers and we pursue uh, enjoyment in our, in our leisure time and all different kinds of things. But the number one pursuit that we need to have in our life is Jesus Christ. Paul said this, he said, for me... To live as Christ and to die as gain. That is, if you could sum up Paul's life in one word, it would be Christ. That's it. That's everything. That's the chief priority of my life. If somebody were to use a one-word description of your life to describe what you are about, would they say Christ or would they say fishing? Or would they say career advancement? Or would they say automobile (laughs) or whatever? Uh, What is your priority? It needs to be Jesus Christ. We've got to choose to run the race that's set before us. Did you know that God has a plan for each and every one of our lives? He's got a race for us to run. Paul said this toward the end of his life. He knew he was about to be executed for his faith. And he said this to Timothy as he wrote to Timothy. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. He says, I have finished the race that Jesus Christ has given me to run. I hope someday when I get to the end of my life that I will be able to say that about my life. I've finished the course that Jesus gave me to run. What about you? Are you running your race? Are you doing the things that Jesus has called you to do? Are you using the spiritual gifts that Jesus has given you to edify the body of Christ? Are you using your influence with lost people to try to to draw them to faith in Jesus Christ? Are you running your race? Are you doing what you know God has led you to do in your heart? If so, uh, your life will count for something. And you'll make a difference. And you will walk and live in faith and trust in Him. You can't run your race by yourself. You need Jesus. That's why you've got to choose Jesus to run your race. Amen? 
in order to fulfill my plan that God has for me, I've got to have supernatural power. I must choose Jesus. And so uh, he encourages us to choose Jesus and to, to run that race that he has given us. And he says, you, you've got all these witnesses. You've got all of these believers that have gone before. Did you know the American church is shrinking? It's not keeping up with the population growth. And even in those denominations and groups of, of, of uh, Christians in, in our land that are growing, they're growing at a rate that doesn't keep up with the population growth. That means that we as Christians in America are not fulfilling the commission that God's given us to fulfill. We're not running our race. And if we're not careful, we're going to wake up one day and America is going to be a completely different place. It's going to be a secular nation. We are, uh, it is so important for us to fulfill the plan that God has given for us. Maybe you think, well, what could God do with one person? One person, just one person. D.L. Moody's Sunday school teacher came to witness to him at, a, at the shoe shop. What could God do through one Sunday school teacher? Well, he won D.L. Moody to Christ, and D.L. Moody went on to be a great evangelist that ministered on two continents and won scores and hundreds and probably thousands of people to Christ. I want you to know you can make a difference if you'll fulfill the role that God has given you to fulfill. It may be being here to encourage others. Did you know you come to church not just for yourself, you come to church for others? I hear people, well, I, I can worship at home. No, you can't, not in the biblical way that Jesus says. Because God has said that we need to be a body of believers that builds each other up. How can you do that at home? How can you do that on the golf course? You can't. God has given us a race to run. We need to choose Christ above everything else in our life. That's, that's how you live by faith. Uh, so first of all, choose Jesus. Secondly, trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. Look what he says in verse 2. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is our source. Now, if you've read the book of Hebrews, you know that from chapter 7 to the first part of chapter 10, he's been talking about Jesus, the great high priest. He is to be their source. He is to be the one they look to. He is their power. He is their strength. He is their might to do the work that God has called them to do. And so he says, keeping our eyes on Jesus. He's saying, trust him. When you get discouraged, lift your eyes to him. Trust him. When you feel like you're not getting the job done, uh, look to him. When you, when you are concerned, look to him. When you are struggling, look to him. Trust him. He will sustain you. He is the author and the finisher, the originator and the ender of our faith. He's going to bring it to completion uh, someday when he returns. But in the meantime, he is, he is the one who sustains that. Peter says we are kept by the power of God, by faith. God is the one who sustains your faith. Have you ever thought about that? When you struggle in your faith, 
When you are challenged in life, you are not in that struggle alone. Jesus Christ comes and he sustains you by his power. Look to Jesus. Do you ask him to sustain your faith? Do you come to him and say, Lord, I'm struggling. I'm struggling to live this life of faith. I'm struggling to trust you in the circumstances. And so I'm looking to you and I'm asking you, sustain me. Give me the faith that I need to follow you and trust you in my life. And he is able to do that. The Bible says he is God himself. He has all power. And he's able to meet the need that you have. So go to him in prayer and seek him to, to help you in those times where you struggle. Uh, three college students were burdened for revival to come to their campus, but also to the nation. And so in their weakness, they thought, well, what can we do? And they got together and they prayed beside a haystack. And they began to call it the haystack revival because revival broke out and one of the great awakenings took place in America because three people said, we're going to look to Jesus. We can't do this race on our own. We can't accomplish this task on our own. We're going to look to Jesus, and we're going to trust him to sustain us and to sustain our faith and to do this work through us. And God did a mighty work. Trust Jesus. Go to him when you struggle. Go to him with your burdens. Go to him with your heartaches, and he will sustain you. Living by faith, how do you live by faith? You choose Jesus. You trust Jesus. Thirdly, consider Jesus. I love this. Look at verse 3. Well, look back to, look back to verse 2, the second part of verse 2. Speaking about Jesus, he says this, Who for the joy that laid before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. For consider Him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. Consider Jesus. Jesus has, the Bible says, been tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin. He's gone through the test. He's gone through the trials. I think back to the Garden of Gethsemane. Did you know... Jesus, Jesus suffered physically, and he endured the wrath of God and, and all of that on the cross. But the battle within took place in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so he takes his three most trusted disciples, those that he is, he's taken special time with, and he says, Come aside with me, Peter, James, and John, uh, for my soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. And, and this is the heart that Jesus had. He was so... Uh, burdened and so overwhelmed. Yes, God, the Son, in his human nature, was overwhelmed by the prospect, not so much of going to the cross and the physical suffering, but of experiencing the separation from his Father in relationship. And the wrath of God and the, the sin of the world placed upon his shoulders, and Jesus was just burdened. And so he says, come, you three, my best friends, you come. 
and pray with me. And so Jesus begins to be sorrowful, exceedingly sorrowful, and sweats great sweat drops of blood. Now, there have been a few documented cases of that. And apparently, when that takes place, the, the intensity of somebody's uh, agony is so great that the, the capillaries actually break underneath their skin and mix with the sweat that's coming out. That's, that's the pressure that Jesus was under. I want you to know something. If you are going through a time where you're under a lot of pressure, Jesus understands. So Jesus is pouring his heart out to God. And what are the disciples doing? Right? They're asleep. Peter, James, and John, I've told you, I'm exceedingly sorrowful unto death. Right? They weren't supporting Jesus in his time of need. Somebody said when you go through trouble, you find out who your real friends are. Well, if that's the case, Jesus, when the chips were down, had nobody. Because every single one of his disciples, when the soldiers came, fled. He understood what it was to be forsook. He understood what it was to be abandoned. He understood what it was to be rejected. As he underwent the, the, the abuse of the soldiers, he was spit upon. He was slapped. He was hit with a stick. He was whipped with a cat of nine tails whip. He was uh, ridiculed as he hung upon a cross. Consider Jesus when you go through difficulty. I love the statement that Pilate made when he was, he was all these accusations were coming, Jesus being falsely accused. And he says, he's, he's amazed. He says, do you have nothing to say for yourself? Are you not going to speak? Don't you hear what they're saying? And he's amazed. Why? Because in the middle of all of this trial and difficulty, Jesus has perfect peace. He has been with the Father. And the struggle has taken place in Gethsemane. And now he has God's peace and he faces his trial and nothing can shake him. Consider Jesus. I love what Isaiah 53 says. It says that Jesus had no form or appearance that we should desire him. He was an ordinary guy. The pictures that you see of Jesus where he looks good looking, if it, some of them are just, they don't even look good looking, you know. But <laughs> the ones that do, it's really not accurate. Jesus was an ordinary-looking person. He knew what it was like to be ordinary. Consider Jesus, who went through all of these things, who experienced the rejection of his people, the rejection of his family. They thought he was crazy. He wasn't even taking time to eat as he was ministering. Consider Jesus, who went through all of this difficulty, but to grow weary and lose heart. Why should you consider Jesus? Number one, he's a great example. But secondly, so that you can know that God has the power to sustain you 
in times of difficulty. Yes, Jesus was God's son, but Jesus chose not to use his divine power uh, as he went through the struggles of, of life. He, he went through those things as a, as a human being. Uh, even though he was still God, he didn't use his divine power uh, so that he could sail through those things with no problem. He experienced the full weight of what we struggle with, and he came out victorious. He lived the perfect life that we were intended to live in our place and was victorious. Jesus knows what it's like to experience the feelings that you experience. And he is able to see you through to the other side. He is, he's the victor. He's victorious over all of the struggle. He's victorious over sin. He's victorious over death. And someday he's going to come back and be victorious over his enemies. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Consider Jesus. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. He's able to sustain you through your trial, and he's able to bring you to your reward. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus looked forward. I think part of the joy was to be exalted to the Father's right hand in worship, but I think he had been worshipped in eternity past. I think he looked forward to, to all the, the souls that were going to be saved. He looked forward to you and me in this for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. But not just you to save us, but to experience eternity with us. This world is not all there is. Consider Jesus. There's a reward that's coming. Eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Get excited. <laughs> this world is not your home. You're just passing through. Your treasure's laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Jesus has set the example for us. Consider Jesus. When you get going through those difficult times, consider your Savior, what he has experienced, and what he is able to do to help you go through that trial, and what he is going to do for you after the trial when he rewards you. Consider Jesus, and he will give you strength to live by faith. Choose Jesus. Trust Jesus. Consider Jesus. Thank Jesus. Why? Look at verse 5. You have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. I don't deserve to be God's son. I'm a sinner. So are you. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And you know what he does? When you put your faith in Jesus, God adopts you into his very family because of what Jesus did. I have nothing based on my own merit. Some of you may be sitting out there thinking, well, you're pretty good and, you know, God's Lucky to have you as a child of God. But let me tell you something. None of us has anything to bring to God. We are bankrupt spiritually. Everything that we have is a gift of God's grace. And it comes through Jesus Christ. But imagine 
the awesomeness of being adopted into God's very family. That's what we are, children of God. We are His sons. Thank Him. Praise Him. There are blessings to sonship. And sometimes those blessings are the rewards like we just finished talking about. But sometimes those blessings are the discipline that God gives us. Thank Him for discipline? Yes. Guess what? God cares about you too much to leave you on your own way. Aren't you glad? I don't want to go. I, I, I know uh, the choices I would make uh, under my old nature. And I know the things that I would do. Praise God that Jesus doesn't leave us to ourselves. He adopts us into God's family. And God takes the initiative to discipline us. So that we can partake of his holiness. And you know that's a great blessing. People think that if you become a Christian, you lose all your fun. It's the opposite. You become a Christian, you learn what joy, true joy, inner joy, inner peace, inner the stuff that God does on the inside of you. You learn what that's all about. And then as you grow as a child of God, and you learn to walk in obedience to him, that joy increases as you grow in your relationship with God. That's, that's God's plan for you. That's why discipline is there. Because God wants you to have the full benefits of walking with Him and to prepare you for eventually coming uh, to be with Him. So thank Him. Thank Jesus for what He's done. Because you and I would not be sons without Him. Uh, choose Jesus. If you want to live by faith, choose Jesus. Trust Jesus. Consider Jesus. Thank Jesus. And finally, follow Jesus. Look at verse 9. Furthermore, we had natural fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good, but he does it for our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? Follow Jesus. What's this a call to? It's a call to obedience. If you want to live the life of faith, faith is expressed in obedience. I can have faith before the obedience, but if I'm given the opportunity, my faith will result in obedience toward God. Um, James says this, faith without works is dead. In other words, you say you have faith and you don't have works. That kind of faith is dead. True faith in Jesus Christ means I trust him with my life. And trusting him with my life, I trust him with my decisions. And I choose to follow him. It's a choice that I must make every day as a child of God. Did you know you've got that old nature? Every one of us has it until Jesus comes and rids us of it forever. Won't that be great? But in the meantime, we have to make a conscious choice every day. The Bible says we're to take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. We're to choose to obey Him. Now, you probably have to make that choice more than once a day if you're like me, but at least once a day. Amen? Follow Jesus. You can't live the life of faith doing it your own way. Isn't it funny how sometimes we'll say, well, I know God's Word says that, but I think 
and then we share what we think. And you know what we're saying in that? I'm trusting myself more than I trust God. Or we say, yes, I know God's word says that, but my friends say, what are we doing? We're trusting what our friends say more than we're trusting what God says. Well, yeah, I know that God's word says that, but this old scientist over here says this. What are we saying? I'm trusting the scientist more than I trust God. See how that works? And ultimately, who we trust will determine how we live. We need to choose to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. I've decided to follow Jesus. You make that choice when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. You choose to turn from your sin to follow him. And you receive the gift of salvation. But you make that choice daily as a Christian. And whether or not you make that choice will determine the level of joy and relationship that you have with God. It will also determine the way that God uses you. You want to run your race? You can't do it if you're not obedient. You want to walk with God and live by faith? You can't do it without obedience. You must choose to follow Jesus. The good news is that Jesus is able to help us choose. Right? Remember the man said, I believe, help my unbelief. I read about that this morning in my quiet time. What did Jesus do? He reached out and healed him. He gave him the, the strength to believe. Jesus helps us choose. Ask Jesus to change your heart and give you an obedient heart to follow him and make a volitional choice to do the things necessary in your life to follow him. Living by faith, what should you do? How do you overcome uh, this tendency not to live by faith? What do you do? How do you live by faith? First of all, you choose Jesus. Secondly, you trust Jesus. Thirdly, you consider Jesus. Fourthly, you thank Jesus. And fifthly, you follow Jesus. And as you do, you will share in his holiness. What does that mean? You'll be set apart with a godly character like he is. And God will let you enter the abundant life that he has created you to experience. And he'll use you to accomplish the task that he has set before you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us your word and telling us what it means to live by faith. Help us to make these choices, God, in our lives. To choose Jesus and to follow Jesus and uh, to consider Jesus in all of these things.